Hey everybody, it's Nathaniel Avila reporting from Dallas County and we and I'm joined here with Timbrel Heldebrand reporting from uh, Arlington, Texas and uh, today we are going to be talking about the 1964 musical fantasy film Mary Poppins. Is that right? That is correct. All right, so the backstory. Oh, we actually also we kind of took a little break because we've been like both been moving and stuff, but now we're moved in and now we're back. Yep. Yep. Hiatus is over. Hiatus is <laughs> hi hiatus of two weeks is over. We're back <laughs> and better than ever. So, uh, the thing about Mary Poppins is that the the backstory of this film is actually very interesting and very extensive so oh I'm yeah gonna, it's had its own movie yeah and then i will uh go into uh all that uh, i usually just go into just the development side but for this particular one i think it's very interesting to go into the entire uh role of the production so mm -hmm. uh the story of <clears throat> the story of mary poppins started off in uh buh, 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 I believe 1938. So the first novel in the Mary Poppins series like was the main basis of the film and according to the 40th anniversary DVD release of the film in 2004, Disney's daughters fell in love with the Mary Poppins book that ma and made him promise to make a film based on them. Disney first attempted to film the to purchase the film rights to Mary Poppins from P.L. Travers as early as 1938. However, Travers refused. She did not believe a film version of her books would do justice to her creation. In addition, Disney was then primarily known primarily as a producer of cartoons and had yet to produce any major live-action work. Uh, this is 1938, by the way. <laughs> so, and for more than 20 years... Disney periodically made efforts to convince Travers to allow him to make a Poppins film. He finally succeeded in 1961, although Travers demanded and got script approval rights. The Sherman Brothers composed the musical score and were also involved with the film's development, suggesting the setting be changed from the 1930s to the Edwardian era. Now, pre-production and song composition took about a total of two years. So... Travers was an advisor to the production. However, she disapproved the dilution of the harsher aspects of Mary Poppins, the Mary Poppins character, uh, and felt ambivalent about the music and hated the use of animation so much that she ruled out any further adaptations of the later Mary Poppins novels. She objected to a number of elements that made it into the film, Rather than original songs, she wanted the soundtrack to feature known standards of Edwardian period in which the story is set. Disney overruled her, citing contract stipulations that he, say, that he had final say on the finished product. Now, much of the Travers Disney correspondence is part of the Travers collection of papers in the State Liberty of New South Wales, Wales Australia. The relationship between Travers and Disney is detailed in Mary Poppins She Wrote, a biography of Travers by Valerie Lawson. The biography became basis of two documentaries on Travers called The Real Mary Poppins and Lisa Matthews' The Shadow of Mary Poppins. 
The relationship during the development of the film was also dramatized in the 2013 Disney film Saving Mr. Banks. Mm, that's now, a good movie. Yo, that's a great movie. Um, in J- March 1961, Disney announced that it might cast Haley Mills and Mary Martin in the film. Julie Andrews, who was making her feature film acting debut after a successful stage career, got the prime role of Mary Poppins soon after she passed away by... Wait, no, no, she didn't pass away. <laughs> She's still alive. So, uh, <laughs> soon after she passed over by Jack L. Warner, who replaced with who and replaced her with Aubrey Hepburn for the role of Eliza Doolittle in his screen adaptation of My Fair Lady. Even oh, I love that story yeah. so much because she totally roasted them when she won her Oscar. It was oh, hilarious. Snap. I should I need to look that up then. I couldn't find it anywhere, but maybe it wasn't her Oscar speech, but at one point she got an award for Mary Poppins and she thanked the the guys who were working on the My Fair Lady movie by saying, oh yeah, thanks for making such a great movie so I could do this movie and win an award. So. Oh snap, and then she dabbed on him. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. <laughs> so, and even, they, they casted uh, Aubrey Hepburn for the role even though Andrews had originated that role on Broadway. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have the original soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, you do? Wow. I do. Do you think, did you get it, like, how much was it? Oh, I found it at Half Price Books. It was like $4. Oh, snap. So <laughs> maybe you can sell it for, like, a million dollars. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's worth that much, pal. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, that's wishful thinking. So when Disney first approached Andrews uh, about taking on a, on the role, Andrews was three months pregnant and therefore was not sure she could take it. Disney assured her that the crew would be fine with waiting to begin filming until after she had given birth, though, so that she could play the part. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. He literally put production on hold so she could have a baby. Yeah. What a great guy. <laughs> what a great guy. Uh, Disney considered the actor Stanley Holloway for the role of Admiral Boom during the pre-production stage, but the role went to Reginald Owen instead. Andrew also provided the voice in two other sections of the film. During Spoonful of Sugar, she provided the whistling harmony for the Robin, and she was also one of the pearly singers during Supercatchifragilistic Espialidocious. David Tomlinson, besides playing Mr. Banks, provided the voice of Mary's talking umbrella and numerous other voiceover parts, including that of Admiral Boom's first mate. During the Jolly Holiday sequence, the three singing Cockney geese were all voiced by Marnie Nixon, a similar oral uh, substitute for actresses with substandard singing voice. (laughs) She actually did the voice of uh, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Oh, snap. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like that oh snap there's like a bunch of similarities between this film and my fair lady <laughs> a lot of connections yeah yep so nixon later pro- provided the singing voice for hepburn yep you're right uh in my fair lady and per- and played one of andrew Fe- andrew's fellow nuns in the sound of music oh yeah i knew that yeah <laughs> so andrews later beat hepburn for the best actress award at the golden globes for their respective roles Andrews also won an Oscar for Best Actress for a role. Hepburn did not even receive a nomination. Richard Sherman, one of the songwriters, also voiced a penguin as well as one of the Pearlies. 
Robert Sherman, dubbed the speaking voice for Jane Darwell because Darwell's voice was too weak to be heard on the soundtrack. Sherman's voice is only is heard saying only the line, Feed the birds tuppence a bag. Disney cast Dick Van Dyke in the key supporting role of Bert after seeing his work in the Dick Van Dyke show. After winning the role of Bert, Van Dyke lobbied to also play the senior Mr. Dawes, but Disney originally felt he was too young for the part. Van Dyke eventually won Disney after a screen test. Although he is fondly remembered for this film, Van Dyke's attempt at a Cockney accent is regarded as one of the worst film accents in history. Cited as an, <laughs> as an example. Yeah, it's always that one. Whenever people want to talk about bad accents, they always talk about his. Exactly. So in a 2003 poll by Empire Magazine of worst film accents of all time, he came second. Van Dyke claims that his accent coach was the, was the English of Irish extraction, J. Pat O'Malley, who didn't do an accent any better than he did. In 2017, Van Dyke was selected to receive an award for television ex- excellence from the British Academy of Film and Television Arts, at which time he said, I appreciate the opportunity to apologize to the members of VAFTA for inflicting the most atrocious Cockney accent in the history of cinema. A chief executive of BAFTA responded, We look forward to his acceptance speech and whatever accent he chooses on the night. We don't have, <laughs> we have no doubt it will be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Good job. <laughs> so, filming took place between May and September 1963, and post-production and animation took another 11 months. So the film changed the book storyline in a number of places. For example, Mary Poppins, when approaching the house, controls wind rather than the other way around. Also, the father, rather than the mother, interviews Mary Poppins for the nanny position. A number of other changes were necessary to condense the story into feature length. The film, there uh, in the film, there were only two Banks children, Jane and Michael. The satirical and mysterious aspects of the original book gave away to a cheery and Disney-fied tone. Mary Poppins' character was, as portrayed by Andrews in the film, is much less vain and more sympathetic toward the children compared to the stern, cross, intimidating nanny of the original book. Bert, as played by Van Dyke, was was a composite of several characters from the Travers story, and Travers demanded any suggestion de- like demanded any suggestions of romance between Mary Poppins and Bert be eliminated so the and so the lyrics were written for Jolly Holiday that clearly indicated that their friendship was purely platonic some subtle hints of romance however remained in the finished film <laughs> the film music features lyrics by Richard M Sherman Robert B Sherman the Shermans took inspiration from Edwardian British music hall music Erwin Kostel arranged and conducted the film's score. Uh, Buena Vista Records released the original motion picture soundtrack in 1964 and the LP and reel-to-reel tape. Now this is where things kind of get come to a head. Mary Poppins premiered on August 24th, 1964 at Agroman's Grom- uh, uh, Chinese Theater in Los Angeles. The film poster was painted by artist Paul Wenzel, and Travers was not extended an invitation to the event, but managed to obtain one from a Disney executive. It was at the after party Richard, that Richard Sherman recalled her walking up to Disney and loudly announcing that the animated sequence had to go. 
Disney responded with, Pamela, the ship has sailed and walked away. Wow. <laughs> What's your reaction to that? That's kind of a jerk move, but not unexpected, honestly, at this point. Yeah. I mean, would you have done the same thing if that were if you were in the play, in that position? I don't know. I mean, I probably I, I don't know. I don't know. It would really depend. I mean, I think the movie's really good, but I've never gotten a chance to read the book, so I don't know. You know, if it totally ruins the character or not. Yeah. To be honest, if I was in that position, I probably wouldn't have been that standoffish, but I probably would have stood my ground probably say like yeah i definitely would have stood my ground but i probably would have been a little bit more apologetic about it like just sorry this is how the movie turned out yeah exactly i wouldn't be like dude it's over with go to my face no honestly probably after everything they had to deal with with her they were probably a little fed up with everything she was doing they were like done with it so um what is your what's your overall uh, opinion of this film um I think Mary Poppins is a very interesting movie. Believe it or not, like, I'd only really seen bits and pieces of it. I hadn't really, like, sat down, at least to my memory, and watched it all the way through until I was, like, much older. I was, I think I, I was probably in my teens, because I just, I realized that I hadn't seen it all the way through, and I thought, you know, I, I want to sit down and see what this is like watching in one viewing. I may have seen it a couple of times, but, um, but yeah, it's a very interesting movie, very whimsical, and I mean, the the performances are fun, and not to mention it shows, uh, it also displays a little bit of technological advancements with the animation, with live action stuff. So it's just an all around fun, enjoyable film, I think, with also, I think, some interesting dynamics throughout, like the dynamics between the father and his children, between Mary Poppins and the children. It's, it, it's really interesting. Yeah, and so you brought up the character of the father, which is Mr. Banks. Uh, what what do you think like his character is to the overall representation of the film? Um, what do you mean? Like he is like a pretty his arc is probably the most prominent in all of the in the entire film because like he is first portrayed as like this very stern like no nonsense guy who's like okay all i do is i got i gotta do business stuff i gotta do business stuff and then and then at the end he finally realizes that the world is not all bleak and black and white that there are more to the world than just doing business stuff and just to like you know be happy do some do some whimsical stuff you know yeah like go fly a kite (laughs) yeah yeah so like um, and also, do you know that he also, it's a pretty good bookmark too about the kite, uh, because it starts off with, uh, Michael and what's the other girl's name? Uh, it's Michael and, goodness, is it Jane? Michael and yeah. Jane. Yeah. Jane and Michael, uh, Jane, yeah. Michael and Jane losing a kite in the park and it ends with them flying a kite. Yes. Full circle. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Like the 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 kite symbolizes i mean yeah i I'm, I'm guessing it must be something of a symbol i mean in a way it kind of encapsulates um their relationship with their father like they wanted their dad to go fly a kite with them and he wouldn't do that and so at the end he went and he flew a kite with them so you see kind of that and he repairs the kite so you see that kind of like 
reconciliation, the kite kind of represents their relationship. They mend the kite, they mend the relationship. So I'd probably say it definitely has to do with like mending the relationship between the children and the father. Yeah. Like also like another good line that is said that was said by Bert is um that there are all types of cages some of them are prison uh, not prison like some of them are bank shaped like what, do you, what? Like i said that uh, bert said in one of the scenes where jane and michael were crying to him after that whole fiasco in the bank uh that um sometimes like cages come in all shapes and sizes and some of them are bank shaped what do you think that means some of them are what shaped? Bank shaped. Bank shaped. Oh, yeah. If you're talking about that interaction with them where he's the chimney sweep and stuff. Yes. Um, I think that part is really, really cool because, um, you know, it's real easy to take the kid's side in this film because, you know, Mr. Banks is so overbearing and kind of, you know, um, I suppose just not receptive to his children's wants or what or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, you see, you know, they're, they're crying to to Bert and Bert's of course like he's obviously he's not uh too admonishing of them but at the same time he's pointing out the fact that their dad does love them it's just he's you know he's showing it by maybe not the best way you know by absorbing himself in his work but at the end of the day the the fact that he's working so hard is because he wants to care for them because he loves them and that he has bad days too just like the two of them so I thought that was really neat that they kind of like showed him in a, they had Bert kind of point that out to the kids that, you know, yeah, your dad's a little bit rough around the edges, but at the same time, you know, be sure that you're being sympathetic to him the way you're wanting him to be sympathetic to you. Yeah, like you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and also like, let's go back to the scene that happened previously where uh, they were Michael and Jane visited uh the bank with uh mr banks and in that scene they were like they were like i michael was like i want to give my money to this lady so she could feed the birds or something like that so they can feed the birds but banks was like no you don't need to do that you gotta go invest it in the bank and so i guess that in that scene it's supposed to be like this uh, bridge between the more whimsical side of life and the more uh, stoic side of life, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, how do you think that relationship is portrayed in this film? The idea of fantasy versus reality? Um, I think it's interesting the way they portray it because, I mean, overall, it's a very whimsical film. We're in the fantasy side way more than we are in reality. Mm-hmm. But throughout the film, you have yourself, it almost, like, questions, like, the, the audience member finds themselves questioning, is really any of this stuff actually happening or not? Because even Mary Poppins, you know, she kind of, like, acts like stuff doesn't happen once it's over. And in that case, I think, like, you were talking about how, uh, Julie Andrews played Mary Poppins a little less severe than the book version. Well, I mean, she played it pretty darn severe in this uh, in this film. Like that, I think the part that particularly sticks out to me is um, when uh, after they came back from oh, what were they doing? Was uh, it the it was the first thing? Oh, it was after 
it was when they were going to bed. Okay. And she was in the corner knitting, and they were lying down. And they were saying, "Oh, Mary Poppins, it was so incredible what we did today." And she goes, "Oh, what on earth are you talking about? That's absolutely ridiculous." And, like she's very cold towards them. And I remember like watching it as a kid and being very confused. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that's real weird." So I think if when you when you see that, you see this sort of like uh, how the the real world is very very harsh, and the more whimsical world is a little bit more, you know, easygoing and happy. And you sort of see that in Mary Poppins and the way she interacts. But I, I love that because it's showing how she's kind of trying to prepare the children while also for the real world while also giving them a taste of the whimsical. Right. And like, what do we like? How do we feel about Mary Poppins straight up gaslighting the children? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's kind of the point. That's uh, the point is like she she wants them to be children. She wants them to have fun, but at the same time, the whole point of her purpose is to help them grow and to mend the family. And she can't help the children grow if she just kind of like uh, if she just coddles them in this world of fantasy. Mm-hmm. So she has to she has to be stern with them also. So. I mean, yeah, it can be seen as a little crazy. Like, she's trying to make kids think they're crazy or something. I think it's really interesting uh, if we ever get a chance to discuss the sequel that they that they made, which I, I thought was pretty good, actually, that came out a couple of years back. Oh, yeah, um, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, yeah, yeah, and Emily Blunt. It was wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, I think, it's, I think that's interesting that she sort of shows both sides. Uh, like, she's, she's two sides of the same coin, that sort of thing. You know, she... Um, she can be, you know, fun and easygoing, but she can also be more stern. And she, she even kind of shows that towards Bert. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy her and Bert's interactions. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't rewatch that, the sequel, so I can compare how she interacts with Jane and Michael as children as compared to as when they are adults. It's a very interesting dynamic, and the and the actor and actress playing Jane and Michael as adults are, are really talented, so that just really adds to that, but we're getting off track. That's the second movie. This movie. <laughs> this movie. So, uh, what do we think about Bert? Like, why is he constantly changing jobs all the time? Well, probably because he doesn't have a lot of money, so he's, you know, doing whatever jobs he can get his hands on. He strikes me as kind of a bit of a free-spirited vagabond, more mm-hmm. or less. And, like, also, he's the only character who breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, that is interesting that he breaks the fourth wall. Like, why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Um, it was sort of an odd creative choice, given the fact that, like, it only really happens at the beginning and doesn't really happen at any other point. I think it was just sort of uh, a means to sort of, uh, lead everybody into the story and then get it going, you right. know, kind of to set everything up yeah. and then just move on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it was mostly just like a plot device because it doesn't really show up again. Personally, I feel like it wasn't necessary, but um, again, it just sort of adds more to that whimsical side. So it, it didn't bother me too much, but yeah, I don't, I, I'm guessing that was just kind of a plot device. Yeah, like it happens... Uh, in the beginning when he was uh, like a like a one man band and then yeah. it happens one more time when he's a street artist um, where he just Does talks he? yeah he just basically talks to the audience about his street art and wait then, are you just talking about when he's singing yeah 
I don't think that really counts because he's just singing. They do that in musicals all the time oh, where the, where the okay. person is just kind of singing to the air. Gotcha. He didn't like look at the camera or anything, so I don't think that really counts. Okay, I get it. Oh, speaking of musicals, what is your favorite song in this film? Mm, that's a hard one. But uh, it would probably... Hmm. I don't know. I really like Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I also really like. I also really like uh, the Jolly Holiday that uh, Bert and uh, Mary Poppins sing. Um, yeah, I know that P.L. Travers didn't want there to be any sort of romantic sort of like entanglement between the two of them. And I mean, I would argue that that isn't particularly like pressed. Like it's not exactly solidified, but. I think it's real cute, the two of them. I, I enjoy that. I don't think, personally, I don't think Mary Poppins would ever want to settle down with any man, but I still think their little interactions, sort of like cute, kind of, not, not particularly flirty, but just, it's, it's a sweet interaction that I enjoy. Yeah. Sweet of which, like, I remember one time when I was working for Disney, uh, excuse me, I was in the break room in, uh, in the wet, on the, I believe it was the west side, um, and for the Disney World buffs out there, there is actually like in the section called uh, Liberty Square, where there's a bridge that meets uh, from the uh, Partners Plaza to uh, Liberty Square. There's like a group of houses and stuff. On the oh. like in the houses, that's where the break room is for the cast members, and that's where I was. And I remember uh, sitting there. And there was this lady dressed up in this very, like, odd, like, Edwardian-style clothing. And she was like, hey, I don't want to go out there today. I don't want to go out there today. I'd rather stay here and bake, cook, bake brownies or something. And I, was, and I was like, wow, that's interesting. And then she was like, hey, do you want to bake brownies with me? I was like, yeah, sure. What, sure, I'll do that. And then she was like, oh, duty calls, got to go out there. And then she left. And then I realized that that person was actually Mary Poppins. <laughs> wow, you almost got to bake brownies with Mary Poppins. Too yeah, cool. that was dope, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a little little fun anecdote. Uh, so, like, uh, what do we think about the roles of the kids in this film? I, I think it's very easy in a movie like this to make the kid characters I mean like I'm sure we can all think of some movie nothing comes to mind at the moment but like where the kid characters were really irritating like they're whiny and uh, you know uh, annoying and stuff like that but I feel like Jane and Michael since they have a little bit more sadness to their character um, it, uh, it, it gives them it, it makes them a little bit more likable like we feel for them we want them because they, they want to be loved by their father so much and they're kind of lighthearted. they just want to go have fun stuff like that so um i think that that, that that's what makes them likable characters because yeah. they kind of like the audience they're sort of just coming along for the ride yeah i i remember in uh the film saving mr banks uh i remember disney wanted to have mr banks have a mustache and Travers did not want him to have a mustache because she was like, ah, he doesn't have a mustache. Why does he need one? And then Disney was very adamant to the fact that he needed, he would have a mustache. It was later revealed uh, near the end where Disney confided in Travers saying that the reason why he wanted 
him to have a mustache was because his father had a mustache. And uh-huh. so he basically based the character in part to his own father. How does how does that make you feel? Um, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, Disney was kind of the head honcho. He could do what he wanted. So if he wanted the dad to look like his dad, he'd just do that. Okay. So, like, um... Whew. Oh, also, did you know that Mr. Banks, his name is Banks, and he works at a bank? Yeah, that's that subtext is thick enough to cut with a knife. Exactly. That's that's for the scholars. That's for the <laughs> scholars to figure out. <laughs> and so, oh, um, like, what do we think about the like the the chef, like the cook, the cook and the housemaid in the film? Were they not both housemaids? I thought one was just specifically a cook. I don't know. I don't really remember. Um, <laughs> I liked them. They weren't really big characters, but whenever they were on screen, I, I absolutely loved the little... It's not really a huge part of the story, I suppose, but I absolutely loved the fact that they lived next door to a dude who fires a cannon um, off every single hour, and they have to like grab all the stuff. And that's another interesting thing, like a lot of practical effects being used there with all the stuff like moving and then everything shifts back you know i i love that yeah so um what was i gonna say uh Mm. so yeah like any final thoughts about uh mary poppins well we haven't talked about um julie andrews or dick van dyke's performance that's that's what i was trying to remember all right so what do we think about uh julie andrews performance well, let's just say the Oscar was well-deserved. Okay. Well, so she's still alive, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Julie Andrews is still alive. She's she's excellent in this movie. Um, this was pre-Sound of Music, I believe. It was one of her... I think it was one of her first big movie roles. I don't know if she had been in really much of anything. Because, again, like you said, she was just coming off of her sort of stage career where she... Uh, originated Eliza Doolittle's character. Right. But, uh, but yeah, she's just, oh, she's incredible in this film. And I think, I, I, I touched on it earlier, part of, the, part of what makes her so amazing is kind of how she shows that duality in uh, Mary Poppins' character, you know, very sweet and caring, but at the same time can also be very, like, stern and almost cold, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Like, um, oh, like, okay. Like, what do we think about the mom, Mrs. Banks? The mom? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I know the mom isn't in much of it, and she is a rather neglectful mother. But, oh, snap. Um, I absolutely love the song she sings at the beginning about, you know, being a suffragette and getting women the right to vote. Because it's, I, I don't know, I just always loved that as a kid, that she just came in, you know, high on the cause and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. So, why I do we... I also enjoy... Yeah. Uh, in Saving Mr. Banks, where they were explaining uh, why they decided, uh, like, why she was a suffragette and something, because, uh, like, Travers is really angry. She goes, oh, no, no, why is she a silly suffragette? Go, well, we don't really understand why a mom would just leave her kids at home all the time if she didn't have something to do. So I found that, that, that was funny, too. Yeah. So, like, moving on into Dick Van Dyke's performance as Bert, because I know Travers did not want uh, Van Dyke to play Bert. No, she did not. 
Um, so do you think like everything worked out well that he did a pretty good job despite, you know, the accent or whatever? Oh yeah. I mean like, yes, the accent is not great, but honestly, if you watch a couple of the movies like from back then, sometimes the act, sometimes the accents were like superb. And I mean, the accent and accent isn't necessarily what, uh, a role, you know? Right. But so, like, you you still think, you still believe he did a pretty good re- performance. Oh, yeah, Dick Van Dyke is an excellent actor. Well, 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 no, is. He's, he's still alive. He's um, alive. Well, is an excellent actor. I mean, even in his stuff that he's done where he's older, it's very interesting. I particularly like his appearances in the Night of the Museum movies. Yeah, or but, like, um, yeah, or is it his appearance in uh, Spy Kids. Oh, he was in Spy Kids? Yeah, he was, uh, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah, I don't remember that. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I thoroughly enjoy Dick Van Dyke, and I think that the fact that you know he's just he's very good at like embodying characters physically, like with his physicality and his dancing and stuff. That kind of that kind of uh, I guess makes amends for how atrocious his accent is. Which honestly, you can barely tell he has the accent in certain parts of the movie, so it doesn't bother me that much. It's kind of one of those instances where like it's so bad it's good. Kind of thing, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have I had him confused with Ricardo Montalban. Who's that? I had him confused with Ricardo Montalban, who was the grandfather in uh, Spy Kids Three. Oh, okay. See, I've I've only seen the first Spy Kids, so I wouldn't know anyway. Yeah. I mean, Spy Kids was a great film. Spy Kids Two was also pretty good. Uh, everything else after that was dumb. Are you driving? Oh, sorry. Yeah, can you hear it? My bad. I'm yeah. sorry. I wasn't trying to make it sound bad. No worries. You got a signal, man. So, um, so, oh yeah, he, uh, Dick Van Dyke actually ended up reprising his role in the sequel as, I believe he played Mr. Dawes again. He played who? Mr. Dawes again in the sequel. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, he did. He did. Yeah. So we've been talking about Van Dyke's performance as uh, Bert a lot in this film because that was how he was primarily portrayed. But how is his, like, performance as Mr. Dawes in the film? Because he also played him. Oh, I think he did a great job. Again, like, his physicality uh, really... uh... It, it really makes a difference in his in his roles. His physicality makes his characters really come to life because he can just like bend his body. He was bending his body in ways that were just really incredible. Because I mean, I don't, I, not, I, I couldn't move my body like that. Yeah. So yeah, it really adds to it, and he was able to really take on the mannerisms of the old man and stuff. And so um, it was an interesting choice to cho- to cast him as two different uh, roles in the. In the credits, I believe he's actually credited as a as his as his name, like mixed up, like as a palindrome or something. Really? But, um, uh, not palindrome. That's an incorrect use of the word. But like, yeah, it's like his name mixed up because they wanted to credit him differently for some reason. But uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what are the fi- what are your final thoughts on Mary Poppins? Oh, it's a great movie. It's it's one of the I'd, I'd say it's a Disney classic. I mean, it's it's great. It's got good songs. The music is the music definitely. Uh, I know that P.L. Travers definitely didn't want music in it, but or like this music in it. But uh, the songs in this are absolutely wonderful. I, I thoroughly enjoy the the musical numbers, particularly the more absurd ones like Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I 
it, it's well written and it's well performed. Uh, so it's just it's a lot of fun and the practical effects are really cool. I mean, considering the time period that it came out, mm-hmm. it's really impressive. Yeah. And, like, this was actually one of Walt Disney's last films before his death in 1966. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's Mary Poppins for you. It's a great film. Check it out. Um, you'll have a lot of fun. Is that right? For sure, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.